Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, there's a slight difference with AKC and UKC standards. Um, the biggest difference is UKC, they're one breed, four varieties. Okay. They are not four separate breeds. AKC is the only country in the world, I believe, currently that has them separated into actual separate breeds. Everywhere else in the world, in our own UKC here in the United States, has them as one breed and four varieties. Okay. Um, the other big difference, the height range, I believe, is is uh, up to 27 inches tall in the UKC standard, unless they've changed it recently. Sorry, I, I haven't looked at it in about three years. Right. Um, but overall, it, it's pretty, they're pretty consistent. Even the, the standard, so FCI standard is not a ton different from the U.S. standard. Um, their standard actually, um, besides the fact that they're four separate breeds, their standard does talk about not wanting too much blackening, which we call overlay in the Tiburon and in the Malinois. Mm-hmm. Their preference is not too much overlay. AKC standard doesn't address it as all at all, and neither does the CKC, the Canadian Kennel Club right. standard. Um, and in Canada, they are one breed, four varieties. Um, but um, overall, it's pretty. It's pretty much the same standard with the dip, with the description of going into the Tavirin coat, the Lycomois coat, the Malinois coat, and the Gronenal coat, and that separates by varieties. The only difference should be the Gronenal should be solid black. The Malinois should be short-coated and colored like a fawn Tavirin. And then the Lycomois should have a rough coat with a beard and, and furnishings, wiry furnishings. Other than that, underneath the coat, there should be four identical dogs. There are differences in personality, not so much, in my opinion, by variety as it is by pedigree, by line. Right. Okay. So I don't see a huge difference in my Lake Amois in terms of what I would expect from a Tavira necessarily either. Mm-hmm. Um, coat is the big defining difference. My personal like um is on the bigger end of the standard, and he's 26 and a half inches, and he's got a lot of bone, a lot of bone. Um, he's 71 pounds. He's kind of a big boy, um, and I wouldn't want him any more than what he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's at the top of what I would what I would call acceptable for bone. I like bone, <laughs> but too much is not a good thing in a herding dog. Because, again, then they get clotty and they have a harder time working all day. Right. Um, but he himself is a different personality than the pedigrees that I've been working with in my Tribune. In terms of he was a dog that I kind of, from the moment he got the plane, he bonded to me and only had eyes for me. He did not want to interact with my husband he didn't want to interact with the rest of the world so i had to create 
they want in him to seek attention from other people as well and accept other people and not only want to accept me. Mm -hmm. He wasn't particularly fearful. He just flat out didn't want to deal with them. He thought he didn't need to. Right. Um, so he, that took a little bit of training and work and socialization changes that I haven't had to do with my own trivia and pedigrees because I tend to breed for a more social dog. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find that it suits the lifestyle that I have, that I do with the dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. the life of a show dog, they, they, to, to thrive in it and to do really well, they have to want the attention. Mm-hmm. If they don't enjoy the attention, they're not going to enjoy being a show dog. And if they don't love it, they aren't going to have a career as a special, a, a very good career as a special, in my opinion. I want a dog that wants to do this, that thinks it's a fun game, because it's the most unnatural thing we ever ask a dog to do. To stand like a statue, look animated, not move its feet, accept a stranger staring at it, groping it, right. pack it in with a bunch of other dogs, mm. <laughs> run around in circles, yeah. um, and, and behave and, and, and deal with crowds of people and noises and all kinds of crazy things. It's the most unnatural thing. There's no dog in the world that would create a dog show environment and go do it. That just is never going to happen. So having a dog that enjoys the social attention um, versus tolerates it, uh-huh. um, versus flat out hates it, you know, that makes or breaks a true show career. And there's a difference between finishing at my, some of my dogs I look at and go, you're going to get a championship and then you can be done. And that's all we're going to do with you. Cause I know you don't love this, but you do it because I ask you to do it. That's fine. And then you get that dog that really is a show dog. They love it. They thrive off of the applause. They like the people. They like the attention. They schmooze with the judge they do they and they enjoy that environment and and when you breed for a little more social tendency you get a dog that's more willing towards that so my own pedigrees i've bred for a little more social dog um the lakin are a little more primitive in the more old farm dog where they were bred there are fewer breeders period in lakin there's few lakin in general it's still a very rare um variety of the breed in the world, but especially here in North America. And they are so loyal to theirs, but they tend to be, they'll tolerate others, but they're like, eh, yeah, they could take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. That's been, I think, the biggest difference. But again, that is, in my opinion, more of a line dependent situation than a variety situation. Right. Because I can certainly find Tavirin that mirror that. Mm-hmm. So um, back in the 1800s, there was a lot of nationalism going on across the world. Mm-hmm. And there was also the rise of competition with show dogs. All of this all kind of developed in all around the same time frame. And in the 1800s, there was, it was decided that they were going to develop a national breed in Belgium. Mm-hmm. And they looked at, farm dogs from a particular area. There was a particular professor who toured and found dogs in specific regions that all had similar traits. They were all of a type, we shall say. There was the Tavirin variety out of the Tavirin, which is a town in Belgium. Um, The Lacanois came from that region. 
The Lacama were actually originally being found to uh, guard flax fields, hmm. as well as being used for all-purpose farm dogs. Um, and the Gronendal came from the Gronendal region. There are two dogs that kind of helped set Tiburon specifically. I'm going to talk about Tiburon specifically just because I, I do know that history yeah. more by rote in my head, to be quite frank. Um, Tom and Pose, and they did go back to Malinois. Mm-hmm. So in Europe, the inner variety breeding did happen and still does happen. Uh-huh. In the United States, we're not allowed to do that because we're considered separate breeds. In Europe, you're allowed to inner variety breed. In UKC, you're allowed to inner variety breed. In Canada, you're allowed to inner variety breed. In the United States, we are not. Right. So, um, but back in the 1800s, it was decided to develop, take all of these common dogs and, and further develop them into a national breed. And, um, and uh, that was coinciding with a rise in nationalism back in the day, coinciding as well with the rise in dog shows and competition and using it as a way to evaluate. You know, dog shows once upon a time started to be an evaluation process of breeding stock. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's still used that way today is open for debate. Right. <laughs> I have my own opinions as much as I do love the sport. Right. Um, do I base breeding decisions off of who wins and doesn't win in uh, performance or confirmation? I do not mm-hmm. because I know that talented people can do a lot with a dog that may not be able to produce what it is. Right. So um, that's that's my opinion on that. As much as I do love sports and competition, I, I think we've moved far beyond truly – evaluating breeding stock but i do think it's a good way to showcase our breeds especially to the general public when it's non-covid and people can actually attend a dog show or go to an agility trial and watch and things like that so i definitely think it has value or i wouldn't spend the time and money that i do to do it (laughs) um anyway so that was the original early foundation and how the the whys and how they, they were used as farm dogs. They were used in herding. Um, they were did some guarding. The Malinois in particular, although the long coats too, but the Malinois in particular started earlier on being used more as... In, in, what, another thing that coincided in this 18, 18, late 1800 time frame was farms were starting to actually slow down and the industrial age was growing. So cities were growing and farms were shrinking. There was becoming less need for as many herding dogs, and some of the breeds were starting to get repurposed for other things, including police work. And Malinois and Gronadal and Treveran and Lycomois, but especially Malinois, um, started getting trained and promoted and used for military and police purposes as well. And the Malinois is definitely the best known of the four varieties today, for that purpose mm-hmm. again other varieties can and have been and are used for that within areas but it's not anywhere near as common and there are less breeders breeding for the traits that are more desirable for that because it's a little different set of traits usually right um so that is the how and why of the breed in europe now in the united states initially the belgians were one breed and then in the 1950s there was a group of people 
who did not have Tribune, and they were tired of losing to the Belgian Tribune, and they petitioned AKC and said, wait a minute, these, these dogs really aren't one breed. They're, they really should be separate breeds. And AKC, in their infinite AKC-ness, decided to break us up and put us into breeds. The Lacanois didn't even make it back to miscellaneous. The Malinois got kicked out of being a breed and told you're miscellaneous, and they stayed in miscellaneous for many, many years before they finally got accepted back as a breed. The Lacanois didn't even get to go back into miscellaneous and didn't get into miscellaneous until about 15 years ago now. And then it took 10 years from there, or no, more than 10 years, it took many years from there before we got full recognition. We just became fully recognized July 1st, 2020. So, and it was a long row and a lot of work for a lot of different people. So, you know, there's, there's been a lot of us involved in, in trying to help gain recognition um, for, for that. And initially, the Tavirin were not going to be allowed to be a breed. They were only going to allow the Cronendal um, to be the breed, the Belgian Sheepdog, what we call the Belgian Sheepdog today. And the, the Tavirin people rallied and petitioned hard enough, AKC begrudgingly let them stay as a breed. So in the 50s, late 50, mid 50s, there was quite a fallout for for the Belgians, and it took some work. Um, and then from there, American Belgian Tavern Corp Club was formed, and the Belgian Sheepdog Club of America was formed, and we have been on our merry separate ways ever since. You can get Tavern born in Gronendal letters. Uh-huh. You can get Tavirin born in Malinois letters. Okay. You can get Lakamois born in Malinois letters. You can get Malinois born in Lakamois letters. You can get Gronendal born in Tavirin letters. And in the United States, because all of that is is just coat color and length and, right. and type, right? And in the United States, if my two Belgian Tavirins that are AKC registered produce a solid black, which everywhere else in the world is called a Gronendal, mm-hmm. but we call a Belgian Sheepdog, I cannot register it as anything but a Tavir, which solid black is a disqualifying color, so I could not show it in confirmation. I could do everything else with it, including breed it, and I personally would breed it uh-huh. if it was good enough. you know. And today we can test for homozygosity of coat t- color and coat type, so we can make more predictions. Um, but... Um, it definitely, it definitely makes more of a challenge to add deeper genetic diversity within the United States since we cannot inter-variety breed. Mm -hmm. The good news is we can import dogs that are inter-variety bred from Europe. So that's what a lot of us have done. Okay. To help add more diversity because we're a fairly tight chain pull. We're not a giant breed. Again, even if we were all grouped together under AKC's registration numbers, we still wouldn't be very high up the rankings charts. Mm, that's an excellent question. And, of course, that's so subjective, honestly. Right. Of course, we like to think that we have the top. But do very many dogs from the United States go to Europe and compete successfully? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um. From an FCI perspective, it's more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have some that have and can compete back in country of origin? Yes, but we tend to breed them a little bit differently because our standard is a little bit different. Uh-huh. 
Um, not saying that we should, it's what we tend to do, right? Mm-hmm. So Europe has the most successful numbers and variety of Belgians being bred anywhere in the world. And that's why we tend to import from Europe so so much. Um, Central and South America has a very small Belgian population. They're working on expanding it and growing it. Like I said, I've sent dogs down there um, to help because they wanted specific things that I had to offer. And um, Mexico, again, is a small but growing Belgian breeding population, breeding base. Mm-hmm. Canada doesn't have a very big Belgian program at all. Um, and um, Eastern Russia's probably, or Eastern Russia, Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. um, and the and Eastern Europe and East Bloc countries and Russia probably all combined are maybe some of the bigger overall producers these days mm-hmm. in terms of volume, at least from what I'm noticing. Um, they have a bit different rules and regulations than some of the other countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. A little more open ability to do breedings. Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of Europe now has is they have a lot of breeding restrictions. In the United States, you can go on, you, you can breed whatever you want to breed to, and I can breed whatever I want to breed to, and we can breed our dogs or bitches as many times or as little times as we so desire. Mm-hmm. And nobody approves anything, right? That's just the way it works here. Mm-hmm. In Europe, in a lot of Europe, number one, they are very rigid on the age. You can't breed a bitch like past eight years of age. Well, in Belgium, so a lot of times I don't even breed my bitches till they're six or seven. Right. So I have been known to breed a Belgian as old as eight, nine years of age without it, and it, up to 10 with my reproductive vet's blessing. Um, I don't tend to breed my bitches a lot. I breed two, maybe three litters ever, generally. Um, Because I don't do tons of breeding. I breed when I want something to move forward with in my program Mm -hmm. versus a high-volume amount of breeding myself personally. But in Europe, they have restrictions on the ages of when a dog can be bred. They have restrictions on how often a dog can be bred as well. So um, in some countries, it's no more than one litter every 12 to 24 months. So they are more restricted in that respect. They are restricted on... If the dog passed all of its health requirements and got a breeding recommendation from the registration body. And that usually requires some minimum um, ratings within shows. It's harder to finish a championship in Europe by far than it is in the United States. Because right. it's just a very different process and program. Mm-hmm. Um, so... <laughs> Would I say that we have superior or or inferior dogs in the United States and Belgians? I don't think we're superior, nor do I think we're inferior. I think we're fairly equal footing overall in terms of health, character, things like that. Um, But I would say it's more of a challenge for the dogs in the United States to go over to Europe to compete successfully. Mm Mm-hmm. It's easier for a dog to come from Europe and be able to finish a championship in the United States. Now, get ranked as a top five dog in the country? Eh, that depends. You know, national rankings anymore. I mean, and I have dogs who have been ranked nationally, so I'm not slamming it at all. It's, it's a great achievement. But a lot of it is how often you can get out to the shows, how much you can travel, how much money you can spend on advertising, et cetera, et cetera. Again, it's a very, that part is so subjective. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Um, but in terms of finishing a championship, dogs can come over from Europe and finish a championship in the United States without much of a problem at all. It's more challenging for a dog to come from the United States and go finish a championship in Europe, just because it's more challenging to finish a championship in Europe in general. Mm-hmm. Right now, the state of my breed, honestly, um, I think worldwide, all of us as breeders need to pay a little more attention to temperament mm-hmm. and structure because it's gotten harder to find those qualities, both of those qualities, as well as good breed type all in one package. In my opinion, that's gotten harder in the last 10 to 12 years to find a full package. You can find bits and pieces, but it's getting harder to find a full package. Hmm. And I see that across the board in a lot of breeds, though. I see a lot of the generic show dog look versus necessarily correct breed type in several breeds. It's across the board. It's just, I really feel it's in just about every breed that we've kind of gone towards a generic show dog scenario for Mm -hmm. a lot of our breeds. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we still can't find quality dogs within breeds, but it just, it just, what we tend to see in the show ring and these days, what we tend to see in the group rings by the time they get to group tend to all have certain commonalities. And a lot of it is running with the head straight up in the air and da, da, da. But yet those aren't necessarily things that the breed standards call for, for in those breeds, Mm -hmm. but it's flashy. It looks pretty. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, it's, I think I would be hard pressed to say there's any one spot in the world that's producing better or worse in Belgians. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the United States does have fairly, I think breeders in the United States try to do a fairly decent job. At one point in time, we were way below the curve with breed type. We've gotten very heavy, very plain, very rectangular dogs. When I started in the 80s, that's what you found. And I thought that's what was right until I started studying breed standards. My second dog was a lot typier. And it, it took me a little longer to finish him. But, man, when we would win, we would win big. Um, I would win, do beautiful wins with him when I would win. Um, today we have more breeder judges involved in Belgians in the United States, too. And I think that is a positive because most of them look for type as well as structure i mean we we do need to keep structure and and we have fallen back on that a bit we got a little bit too focused on a pretty head and a shorter back in some instances and a little less focused on making sure that we still had proper structure too it's very challenging in any breed in anything to breed a full package that has everything i mean there's always gonna be some fault somewhere Uh, what faults can we live with and and what faults will we give up on is what it boils down to Mm -hmm. So, um, I think overall though, if I woke up tomorrow and I just, I'd been asleep since 1987 when I first saw the Tavirin, I would be a little surprised at the lack of good moving dogs, but I would be pleasantly surprised at the correctness, more correctness of head type and body shape outline. Okay. Structure. Yeah. 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 Because that's where, you know, you get, you get, it all falls into place with structure. And, um, again, not that there were, not that there weren't poorly constructed dogs in the eighties because there were, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think it was a little easier to find a correct front. I personally feel that way, at least in the regions that I spent time in, it was Mm -hmm. than it is today. A professional 
handler, by definition, is someone who is paid to show a dog. Mm -hmm. And there are varying degrees of professionalism, Mm -hmm. like anything in life, right? Mm -hmm. I can call myself a professional house painter because I get paid to do it. If I'm any good at it or not is a whole other story. Right. Um, A professional, a true professional, is someone who makes at least a good portion of their income from showing dogs. It may not be 100% their full-time income. It is not for me, 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was saved my bacon uh, this last year when COVID hit. Because I I had a secondary, you know, I had another source source of income and a way to make a living as well. So, um, you know, but for some people, that is 100% their full-time way of making a living as well. And then beyond that is someone who is, by professional, it is we are set up to properly care for all of the breeds that we show. So if I take on a breed of dog to show, I better have the facilities and equipment to safely maintain that breed of dog. Because it's a lot different to deal with a Belgian Chavier in a 90-degree weather than it is to deal with an old English sheepdog in 90-degree weather or a old English bulldog in 90-degree weather, yeah, right? Yeah. Or French bulldog. I happen to show Frenchies. And so, you know, I, I'm going to be a lot more paranoid about my Frenchie, to be frank, than I am my turf. Mm-hmm. You know, and knowing that if, if I'm carrying Great Danes on my truck, Great Danes are super pl- prone to bloat. I better have the skills and the knowledge of exactly what to do. Notice the very first signs of bloat so I can get that dog to the emergency room as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- those nuances. Uh, if I'm dealing with Akitas, breed I absolutely love. Akitas don't play well with each other. They don't play well with same sex, especially. They just, you know, you don't throw two Akitas out in an X-Pen together and wander off. No. <laughs> That's not a good plan. But you need to know those things. Um, you know, as, as a professional, I just spent a lot of money on my air conditioning system and my RV mm-hmm. and brakes on my RV because it's time and I'm getting ready to do a big long trip to Michigan and I know that heat could be a factor and I was having a bit of problems. So get them fixed before you hit the road. You got to maintain your vehicles. You maintain a level of insurance. You pay the yearly fee to have a temperature alert system on board to err on the side of caution. If it's over 75 degrees outside, you don't leave the rig unattended for more than very short periods of time while you run to the ring ring to show your dogs. Um, Those are all things that define a professional. So as a professional handler, it is my responsibility to make sure that the dogs are in good condition that they're groomed properly for their breed, for their ring time, and that they're preve- that they are trained and shown to the best of their and my ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what people pay someone to do. You know, I have the ability to travel where my clients, it's in the long run, it's easier and cheaper for them to pay me to travel than it is for them to travel. Right. Um, you know, and or one of my clients, Lake and Belgian Lake and bitch that I show this is a beautiful bitch. The client is phenomenal at training and conditioning her bitch, but walking into the dog show ring terrifies her. She breaks into a cold sweat and wants to throw up. So she gets nervous, so her dog gets nervous. Right. So she is, finds it much nicer and it's more satisfying to pay me to take care of that headache for her. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then there's, there's levels. Like, I consult with my clients. Some of my clients rely on me to choose the judges and the shows that their dogs are going to. Some of them tell me what we're, what we're going to do and where we're going. 
you know, um, and uh, all of those things come into play. I actually offer a coaching service as well. This is a little bit newer um, uh, product service that I've, I've added into my program. There's a lot of people who want to show their own dogs. They just aren't sure how to fully go about it. And the average show-and-go handling class doesn't really teach them well enough anymore. We don't really have a lot of fun matches these days like we used to. And even at the fun matches that we do have, there's nobody there. You know, there's not enough people to offer guidance and tell them, give them a full critique. If you did this right, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I have a background of horse showing. And one of the things that horse trainers figured out some time back is, there's a whole lot of people, especially women in my age range, from you know over 35 and, and under 75, mm-hmm. who are done raising small kids and have some disposable income and want to fulfill a lifelong dream. Right. And they want to ride and show their own horse. But they don't necessarily want to deal with some of the other aspects of it. So they pay the trainer, and the trainer coaches them. And the trainer deals with making sure the horse is cared for and things like that. Well, I'm offering a service that, that parallels that idea you come, you bring your dog, you have a spot in my setup. I make, I go through all the grooming with you. I make sure it's done right or I'll do it for you if I need to. And then I get you to ringside and you get coaching and you get feedback and you get critique to help you. And you get to the whole learning process. You even learn how to set up. And when you're just starting, how do we set up for a dog show? What equipment do I need? How do I do this? So many people anymore, they don't get dogs from breeders who are close to them so it's hard to have good mentorship that's close by and this offers a way of doing that so that's just one more avenue of being able to be a professional handler is i can offer my skill and my knowledge to help the owner handler i support owner handlers i was an owner handler for many years i love the fact that a good owner handled team should be just that it should be a great team because man when you only have one dog to focus on instead of you know eight to 20 dogs to focus on at a time you should be able to build a beautiful rapport in terms of am i going to get rich being a handler no (laughs) there are always the few there are the elite you know, that have been doing this for a thousand years and have really climbed the ranks and have spent the money to build channels and relationships and poured their whole life and made this their 100% full-time commitment. Mm-hmm. And, um, but most of us cannot make a full-time living right. being a handler. There's not enough high-level caliber of clients that can afford to send out the types of specials that are going to pay my mortgage at the end of the day every month without fail. The oh. backup plan: get get a, get it get an education in a trade or an education for a career. Always, mm-hmm. always have that. Have something marketable to fall back on mm-hmm. because things happen. The economy downturn causes people not to be able to show. You know, I lived through that. Uh, COVID happens and they shut the world down. Lived through that. You know, you always want a backup plan. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. And preferably one where you can invest in a 401k so you could have a retirement someday. Right. Um, dog showing on a professional level is hard, hard, hard work, and it's hard on your body. So there's going to become a time when you're going to go, I can't do this for forever. And if you don't have a backup plan or haven't been able to put together a 401k or some sort of savings or you don't have an independent trust fund to back you up, you won't be able to retire. What are you going to do? And you have to have a plan for that. Mm-hmm.
Um, now, as a young person, if I was starting out, if I would have, I, I didn't start showing dogs till I was in my early 20s, but if I would have started out in the ability to be a junior handler, find the best person you can to work for. Mm-hmm. Find the best handler who will hire you on. Even if you're working for free, I don't care. If you really want, if you really have a passion, you really want to do this lifetime, learn from the best of the best and learn from more than one. I, in my 20s and, and even into my 30s, worked for more than one good handler mm-hmm. and to learn, just to learn for my own self, to, to, to be able to best present my own dog. Because what I learned for grooming a Westie and showing a West, West Highland White Terrier, believe it or not, things of that can transfer over to showing it to Viren. Mm-hmm. Just new and different ways of approaching a challenge and thinking through things. Mm-hmm. Knowledge, you can't have enough knowledge in this sport. And I think that applies to pretty much anything that you, you want to do in your life. Right. I just I just don't think we can ever gain enough. There's no such thing as too much. And there's no such thing as you know it all. <sighs> you know what? Probably for me that I haven't owned, I haven't handled on a serious level. I have walked into the ring with a couple of them, but I haven't truly like taken one, trained it, shown it special, it, that kind of thing. Um, it would be the skipper key. Okay. Yeah. I I enjoy skipper keys. People think they're little miniature Belgians. They're really not. Uh And their personalities are actually really quite different. They're a little more terrier like in personality. They're very independent. I have owned a few terriers in my lifetime. So I kind of like that independence and that Uh feistiness. 